Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is the third and final week of our study of 1 Peter chapter 1. So please open your Bibles to chapter 1 of 1 Peter, and we're going to begin today in verse 22. The Word says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Today, we are going to approach the scriptures a little bit differently than we normally do. There is so much richness in this text than it may appear to have at a glance. So what I propose we do today is examine the text in two distinct ways. We will work backwards through the text, and we will also refer to the original words in the Greek to add more context and depth to our understanding of what Peter is telling his audience. So then let's look at the last statement that Peter makes in verse 25. And this is the word which was preached to you. Again, we're working backwards. So what is the word that was preached? The word of the Lord that endures forever, right? The first half of verse 25 is referring to the word of the Lord. Now, that statement in verse 25 comes at the tail end of a quotation from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, which we're going to examine here in a minute. Now, we could walk away from this verse and tell ourselves, okay, so Peter preached the word of God. Big deal. The Bible does this all the time. But here's our first Greek word to examine. Where it says, which was preached to you, is the Greek word evangelisten. This is where we get our word evangelism from. The literal meaning of this word is to announce good news. So let's read the second half of verse 25 while expanding the Greek context. And this is the word which was announced to you as good news. You see that? So not only was the word of God preached to these people, but good news was preached here. This was not a message of judgment or condemnation. And if you have spent any length of time in church, there is something else that we often call good news in the Bible. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. This is what Peter is preaching to them. He preached the enduring word of God, the gospel. This changes things, right? It changes how we read the rest of these verses. Unfortunately, English does not always do a good job of conveying the emotional depth or implications of the original Greek, which is why it's important to examine the literal language used in order to gain a deeper understanding of what the author is communicating. 
But now that we have established that Peter preached the gospel to them, let's look at the quotation from the book of Isaiah as a whole. There is a clear contrast being drawn here between that which is finite and that which is infinite. It starts with the statement that all flesh is like grass. Those of you who have been trying to keep your backyard alive this summer definitely understand what I'm talking about. We see how fragile grass is when the heat is intense or it doesn't get enough water. It only takes a few days for the grass to get brown and crispy if we do not sustain it. God is comparing our lives to grass in this same way. The problems, the stresses, the difficulty of living our lives feels like the sun beating down on us. Or it may very well be literally beating down on you. The word and breath of God is what keeps us alive, and without it, we cannot exist. We will shrivel up like grass. This same comparison is made in several places in Scripture. God reminds us how short our lifespan is, Psalm 89. How to number our days, Psalm 90. That the days of man are indeed like grass, Psalm 103. That the length of our lives is nothing compared to eternity, Ecclesiastes. Our bodies are wasting away, 2 Corinthians 4. And all of this happens in a flash, like vapor. James chapter 4. What about God? Are his days short like ours? No, right? It's the complete opposite, isn't it? God is eternal in heaven, and his statutes never end. Psalm 119. His love for mankind is eternal. 1 Chronicles 16. His reign over his creation is eternal. Lamentations 5. God is our strength and inheritance forever, Psalm 112. The Holy Spirit will be with us forever, John 14. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13. Christ receives all glory and honor forever, 2 Peter chapter 3. And best of all, we will spend eternity with our Lord in his kingdom, Revelation chapter 22. Understanding this truth makes verse 23 much easier to understand. The same contrast of what is finite and what is infinite is made here as well. Those that are being saved have been born again by something outside of creation. That which was made perishes, right? All of the universe is in a state of constant decay. But we are not called to salvation through something physical. Peter says that God's word saved us, and it is living and enduring. The two Greek words used here are zontos and menantos. Zontos is a verb that not only means that God's word is alive in itself, but is also used to describe something or someone being made alive, to cause something to not be dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This same root word for zontos is used here, when we were made alive together in Christ. The second Greek verb, menantos, means to stay, to abide, or to remain with someone. Jesus used this same root word in John chapter 15 when he described himself as the true vine, and we being his branches. He repeatedly used this word throughout the chapter to signify what kind of relationship we were to have with him. He promised to abide in us, to stay with us, and that we should abide in him. This significantly deepens the understanding of verse 23 for us, doesn't it? God's love for us is so great that his word is life itself. It took us from being dead and caused us to not be dead, but to be made alive. And not only that, but this same word stays with us and abides in us and does not ever end. Nothing can destroy it, nothing can stop it, and nothing can be compared to it. It was no coincidence that the Bible is called the Word of God. And John chapter 1 describes Jesus Christ as being the Word of God. This is who and what causes a man or woman to be born again. Now that we have worked our way back to the beginning of our reading, we come to the only verse in this section of Scripture that issues a command. Fervently love one another from the heart. However, this command is sandwiched between two activities that create this godly conduct in us. Everything that we have looked at so far today is the backdrop as to why this should be the natural outcome of truly being born again. Our nature has changed. We are no longer bound to our sin. We are no longer under the control of Satan. Quite frankly, it's no longer about you anymore. Everything about who you are now is the result of God's love, grace, and activity in your life. Therefore, it would only be natural for that which is made of the imperishable to reflect it as such, right? Think about it. If God chose to take you out of the world, shouldn't our actions and attitudes reflect that? If we truly abide in Christ, shouldn't we appear different when compared to an unbeliever? If the Spirit indeed made us alive, shouldn't we live for Him? If this is the case, then verses 23 through 25 are completely about what God did to save you and to begin the process of sanctification in you. He is working to make you more holy every day. Reshaping you into the image of Jesus greatly pleases our Father. But the reality is that we have a responsibility in this as well, right? The first half of verse 22 is about how we choose to respond to what God has done for us. 
we can almost say that this is proof that the Word of God has truly transformed you or not. What are we to do? We are to purify our souls. God is the one who cleanses us from all of our sins. 1 John chapter 1 talks about that at length. But the other aspect of saving faith is repentance. We have to make a conscious decision to keep ourselves pure in this sinful world. Jesus gave several examples of how to do this in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, such as keeping the eyes away from evil things, not giving our hearts to selfish idolatry, seeking the approval of people instead of the approval of God, and the list goes on. All of these are in God's Word. So by being obedient to God's Word, we are being obedient to the truth, because His Word is truth. John 17, 17. Is there anything in Scripture that this reminds you of? In Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer approaches Jesus and asks him, what was the greatest commandment in all the Bible? What did he say? Verse 37, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Then what does he say? There is a second commandment that weighs almost as heavily as loving God with all of your being. And what was it? The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Love God, love your fellow man. This fulfills all of the Ten Commandments, all of the Law of Moses, and pretty much everything else in the Bible. So if that's the case, let's recap what we have learned so far. The Gospel of Jesus Christ was presented to you, and through it, God saved you from your sins. Our lives are fragile, and our sins make us spiritually dead in ourselves. But God caused us to be born again by his infinite power and through his eternal grace. In response to God's generous working in your life, you believed in the gospel and claimed Jesus as Lord of your life. You continually purify your soul by acknowledging that you are a sinner and live with a heart of repentance. You repent often and obey daily what the Bible says, because you understand that obedience is essential in loving God how he wants to be loved. Loving God and loving all those that he created in his image fulfills everything that the Bible teaches. This is what it's supposed to look like for us. Not all of us may be there yet, but that's the goal. God's will in your life is your sanctification, and he demands that you cooperate with his plan for you. If we are lacking in any of these things, pray to the Lord that he will supply you with what is needed to get there. Now, the last thing we'll look at today is what kind of love 
we are to have for each other as Christians and for the world at large. Verse 22 says to have a sincere love of the brethren and to fervently love one another from the heart. The two Greek words used for sincere love of the brethren is anupokraton, Philadelphian. Philadelphian should sound familiar, and this word means a brotherly love, in the same way that good friends love each other. We here in this church are one family in God that ignores all of the means that humans use in an attempt to hate or divide groups of people. We are one family regardless of gender, of color, of background, or any other form of division. Now, the word anupokraton means to love without any hypocrisy or any fakeness. The last form of love mentioned here is fervent love. Fervent love is loving with a passionate, purposeful intensity. And the particular Greek word for love here is agape, which indicates a sacrificial, unconditional love. If we were to live and love in this manner, we fulfill God's law of loving our neighbors as ourselves. Brothers and sisters, do we resemble this form of love? If someone were to ask people in your life if you love like this, what would they say? Would they be able to answer honestly that you show your love for God in every area of your life? Do you have a reputation of being kind, patient, and loving to both strangers and friends alike? What about your church? Could we take a good, honest look at ourselves today and see where we fall short of this standard? God's expectation for us is to love Him in every way, in every season of life, whether through the joys of life or the struggles of life. He desires us to show kindness, peace, and grace to those who don't know Jesus Christ. And most of all, we show the world how much we love God by how we love each other. Let's be honest. All of us, including me, have a lot of work to do. We need to repent and return to obedience of God's commandments. We are called to genuinely love each other like family, with no fakeness and two-faced gossiping, but rather with forgiveness, patience, and showing greater concern for someone else rather than being focused on ourselves. Imagine what we would look like as a universal church if we all loved like this. Imagine what kind of an impact the gospel would have if we were of one mind toward each other and toward the furtherance of the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 17, do you know how Christians were described back then? Verse 6 says that they were men who turned the world upside down. But maybe it would be more accurate to say that we are turning the world right side up. But either way, if this doesn't describe us as a church, we are doing something very wrong. 
we are not being obedient to our Lord's original commands for us in Scripture. This is a glorious mission from God that he's given us. Unfortunately, many of us either do not read our Bibles and know that this is a command from God, or possibly we have allowed our egos and our preferences to get in the way. Never forget where you came from as being a sinner. But more importantly, do not forget where we're going. We are called to fervently love each other. And the best way that you can show love to your neighbors outside of your church is to share good news with them. My sincere prayer is that we as a body of believers would repent and be empowered by the Holy Spirit for the boldness of the gospel. The question is, will you choose God today? Let's pray. Lord God, we come before your throne this morning, knowing full well that we have been lacking. So often, Lord, we are so full of ourselves, and we push you out. We acknowledge, Lord, that we have a lot of growing to do. We have immaturity within us by placing more importance in things of this world or in our own matters than what you want from us. Lord, help us to be a people of repentance, to submit to your will fully, and to be able to love people with a greater capacity. Lord, help us to look past barriers, to look past excuses, and to go straight to the people of this world, whether in our church, whether in our homes, whether in the workplace, or wherever we go, that we can shine the light of Christ through how we love. Love is an action, Lord. We know that. And it's not just saying it that makes the difference, but living a life of demonstrating love for people. Please help us to see what it is that we're supposed to do and show us how to be more like you. You are making us like your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to see more clearly what that is supposed to look like and that we may cooperate with you in this effort. Help us to put intentionality in our faith and in our relationship with you. Help instill that desire and that hunger for your word and to pray. We acknowledge, Lord, today, and we thank you that you have given us all of this as a gift. And may we not take it for granted, and may we use it for the furtherance of your gospel. Please humble our hearts today, and please forgive us for our failures. As we leave this place, Lord, help us to remember that you are sovereign over us and over all creation, and that we are to submit to you as our King. Thank you for allowing us this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you learned a lot and enjoyed this lesson. And we'll move into a different topic next time. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.